American Hammers Radio presents Fortunes Always Hiding. Hello and welcome into the Fortunes Always Hiding podcast on American Hammers Radio. I'm your host, Zach. I'm joined by Chris. Um, Unfortunately, John is out sick. So we wish him a speedy recovery, but today we are joined by a very special guest from across the pond. We are joined by West Ham Fanzone. Right, tell us about yourself, because this is the first time ever hearing of you. <laughs> it is. Um, right, I don't really know how to introduce myself. Basically, just a, just a Twitter page um, that I created about four years ago now, just to give my opinions on everything related with West Ham, really. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've, I've been a follow, or following you for quite some time now, actually, I think. Uh, you and I talk on and off uh, uh, in Twitter DMs. Uh, my, the biggest thing I've always got to say to you, though, is thank you for being one of the only guys that still like posts all of the news and the, uh, uh, the rundown and the rumors and everything, because that's why I got into West Ham Twitter quite a bit, was for those kind of links. And... Mm-hmm. Um, it just doesn't seem like anyone else does them anymore except you. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I keep doing them as much as I can, really, because um, obviously I go to all the um, the uh, pre-match events. I take it you still follow XWHU employee. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I follow him and I go to all his events and stuff, so I speak to him and then obviously I speak to, I speak to him on Twitter as well. So, um, yeah, I try, I try to update everyone as much as I can. And I greatly appreciate that being here in America. Yeah. Right, but it must I, be hard trying to follow it sometimes. Oh, it really, it really can be. I mean, you, this, uh, this whole YouTube page that we've become a part of was set up to try and link American West Ham fans together. But we've, like, you quickly see that it, there's little pockets here and there throughout the country, but it's not anything collective. Yep. All right, so without further ado, we got stuff to talk about. Protest. All right, so what are the, are the protests for all who don't know? The protests were held outside the stadium over by the swimming center. Um, and was, there, was this protest any different than the protests that, was, that were held in 2017 when we pelted our ownership with coins to tell them to do something? Um, these, pro- yeah, they were different because they these were organized and it was a peaceful protest against against the board basically like there was no no like fans fighting each other like there was a couple of years ago obviously <laughs> yeah. I, I was i was at that burnley game a couple of years ago and it was just a oh, shambles yeah, honestly, I, I it was just imagine, a shambles i can only imagine the, the police response and how many people had how many police officers were called in off the streets into the, into the stadium because of all the infighting that was going on and all the complete and total Michigan was happening. But so do so do you feel that you accomplished something with these protests, or do you feel like more work needs to be done other than sacking the complete and total board? Well, I tweeted yesterday saying that it, the the protest has got the got media coverage, and I think that was that was the whole point of it. They needed to be. They, they needed to be recognised, and I think the West Ham fans needed to be recognised by doing it as well because it 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 doesn't do anything in the board's favour. No. It, um, it, it gives them a bad name, and I think it it makes more people realise 
how the West Ham fans feel about everything that's going on with the club, to be honest. That's very fair. No, that's a very fair point, actually. I also think it makes the board realise as well that they, they're not doing yeah. a good enough job as what, as what they should be. So was, has there been any changeover in the board from the first protest to today? Well, the, the first protest in 2017, um, uh, obviously the, the summer after the protest, they spent quite a bit of money. Obviously, they, re- they replaced Moyes and got Pellegrini in. Um, and then they backed him with quite a, quite a fair amount of money and gave him a, gave, gave him a number of signings. But since then, we've just seems to have gone backwards again. Like we, we had that one summer, and then every window since then, we've just we've just gone backwards again. They've not followed it up. No, I mean we signed Haller and Fournells, but we needed more than that. I think. We, we needed a lot more than that. Well, you just look at teams like Leicester and Wolves and look at how they've strengthened. And they, they do it year on year. And we've just kind of stood still, in my opinion. Well, I think a lot of our issue is the fact that we're constantly injured. And yeah. it's just, it doesn't help us. And when you have guys going off, going off injured for months at a time, and it... We can't. We don't have a bench deep enough to replace said players. It doesn't help anyone, and we're not going out, especially for some of these longer-term injuries. We're not going out and finding someone to take on a half-year loan or to take on a full-year loan, um, and having them be replacements. And so it's we're stuck with what we got, and it, what we got isn't working. We're doing the same. It would. It's a definition of definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And unfortunately, this has been going on for far too long, in my opinion. No, I agree. I agree. It has been going on too long. And I think, again, it relates back to the protest. This was the whole point of the protest, to try and force change and change in the way they're doing things. Because what they're doing isn't working and it hasn't worked since they've been here. I don't think. Absolutely Um, right. In terms of the squad depth, I think Pellegrini... And well, not not Pellegrini. That's harsh to blame him. The board trimmed the squad. Got, well, like we sold four strikers and we brought Haller in, and they saved I don't know how many millions in wages per week. And they see that as something to brag about, rather than use them wages to sign better players. Yeah, I mean, it, in terms of like squad depth, it was worrying for me that uh, our really only backup defensive player was Reed on the bench. Yeah. That that that's worrisome to me. Alone, that alone. Well, now it's Zabaleta, and Zabaleta's older than dirt, and he said that this is his last year. And we, the fact that we're not looking to replace him in the short term because he's what thirty five, thirty six, something like that, and he, well, we, and he's just constantly getting beat. I mean, he's a great defender in the box, and if you don't make him run a lot, but. If you make a run down from the whole half length of the pitch, you're going to beat him. And if you're a Premier League player, you are going to beat him. And it's it's frustrating to watch because now your defense is short going back, and you could be running uh, running a three on two. And if you're a defender, you decide are you going to protect the man or the ball. And if you protect the ball, you, there's a wide open chance to give to do a one timer from there. And it's frustrating to me. It is, it is frustrating. Um, I will say, with Zabaleta, yesterday, 
obviously we just mentioned his age and he was he just turned 35 yesterday he played like he was 25 he was he was brilliant yesterday he was probably I'd say he was probably our second best player yesterday he was really really impressive um rolling back the years as you as you as you'd say and that doesn't happen very often anymore <laughs> no no it doesn't um no, but yeah, I mean the the right back situation, like with Zabaleta, I think obviously the long term plan at the club is to bring Ben Johnson in. Um, and I see earlier today that it was posted that Fredericks is ahead of schedule with his um, with his recovery. So uh, I I think the plans for signing a right back have been cancelled for the minute, but obviously because of the like Fredericks and Johnson, but. Um, it's just the ongoing situation every season. We we need yeah. to strength we need to strengthen in these areas, and we don't do it. We try to look for the cheap option all the time. Well, and speaking of cheap options, let's go into the match for a bit. Um, Randolph um, started in net. The first, he's our fourth goal contender years this year. By the way, is, how many? What's the maximum of goalies goalkeepers used in a season by a Premier League team? That's something I would like to like someone to look up. I have no idea. Um. But it's he gets his first start since the sixteen seventeen season. Um, first half goes other than the two goals was really not there. Um, so Diab gets on the score sheet on the in the fortieth minute. I just want to talk about Robert Snodgrass and how great of a long a long free kick taker he's shown up to be between yesterday between last game against Sheffield and then this game. He's really proven that he is fighting for a spot on the to start and. He's showing me that if he starts him, if we start him, we can give him the thirty-five yard plus free kicks, and we're going to get a chance on target. Yeah, Snodgrass. He's like when we first signed him, I was a massive fan of Snodgrass and really impressed with the signing. Obviously, he was brought in to kind of replace Dimitri Payet, which at the time was you think was madness. <laughs> um, but no, he's always been a player that I've liked, and I was really pleased that we signed him. The dead ball situation with Snodgrass, that is what you get with him. I mean, I don't think he offers much in terms of pace. Um, I agree with but, that. But I think, especially under a manager like David Moyes, where he's going to focus set pieces, um, I think he's going. To, I think he'll be a key player because he does have that the ability to put in a, put in a dead ball like he did yesterday. Chris, so I, I'm going to preface this a little bit. I actually was not. I've only been able to watch bits, bits and pieces of the match yesterday. I was out of town, uh, out of town, and was wasn't really able to watch the match. So from what I've seen, that I did see uh, the uh, Diop goal, and that was just a brilliant ball. Like, and then with Snodgrass as well, last or the last match, he put three brilliant balls to uh, Allaire. Um. Granted, Allaire could never get it right, but... Uh, well, he couldn't stay on side. Yeah. And then the third one couldn't get his head to the ball, but, I mean, granted, he put it where he needed to get it. Well, and speaking of staying on side, it's that we had the same problem earlier in the match with um, Snodgrass. Snodgrass was just off sides, and he would have had a one-on-one shot with Pickford, and I honest, I thought he could have he done it. Yeah, I mean, the... I was obviously I was at the game yesterday. The one-on-one Snodgrass, obviously he finished it well, but yeah, he's obviously just gone that little bit early. I haven't seen the replay, but obviously the line I was pretty decisive in his decision. So I don't know. 
he was he was offside. His feet were the only things that were on sides, and that was barely. The rest of his body was offside, and you by like by a full um two shoulders, and you know it knew it. And when he was saying like, "Nope, I'm onside," I'm like, "Okay, I see why you say that, but you really need to take at least another step and a half back to be completely sure that you're on sides." Oh yeah, yeah, especially with the new rules nowadays. Nowadays, like with VAR, the, the offside checks and stuff, you have to. It's all, it's all much as though all the benefit has been taken away from the strikers. It's just it's like you have to be completely behind the defender now in order to be onside. It's just the, the new rules are just ridiculous. Yes, they are, and we're gonna we're gonna get into that in a and when we talk about the second half and um, with the jar, is it a jarry a Jerry a Jetty a Jetty yeah I can never pronounce his name. <laughs> The J throws me for a loop. I'm just like, what is this weird fishhook-looking thing? Um, but so something that interesting that happened because I, because you were at the game, you didn't watch the game, and I was watching it at, at home. Um, the announcer said that West Ham before the free kick, West Ham had not gotten a header all year. Came close, but we've never gotten a header all year. And then he gets a header. I don't know if you have a term for that over in the UK, but here in the US, we call it the announcer's curse. Yeah, yeah, we we call it commentator's curse, so it's pretty similar, really. Yeah. Well, and then going into the Everton goal, it happened again, and the color guy is just blasting. It's like you did it, you did it once, now you do it again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I hate to say it, but that goal that that really was whose fault was it? It's just kind of like hard to place blame as to who who should be who should have been who should be running last for it because it was just. Because it came off a head and it went to another head, and Rand- Randolph is just standing there. He can't do anything about it. So, to the back of the net, it's one one going to half. Yeah, I don't. I don't think you can blame Randolph. I mean, it's literally it's near on impossible to save a shot from that distance. Um, I think Haller could have been a little, been a little bit tighter to him. To um, was it Calvert Lewin? Yeah, he, yeah, I think Haller could have been a little bit tighter yeah. to him, but obviously, what what's done is done. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Well, also, I, I really hate the fact that we put a layer who's supposed to be a striker in the box for a penalty kick for um, for corner kicks. We, I was always taught growing up playing the sport that if you're a forward, you should not be. So, do you know anything about the old NASL? No. So the old NASL. So we in the NASL, they had to make the game simpler because Americans can't understand the offside rule. Or so promoters thought they created a thirty-five yard line in front, like in both both zones. So if you were beyond, so like if you if you're a striker, I a little bit. Yeah, Zach. <laughs> he is just completely froze. Yeah. Oh, that's not good. No. Um <clears throat> All right, let's try that again. Sorry. There he is. <laughs> there he is. All right. Wi Fi down here is not the best. But um so the old school NASL they had a thirty five yard line and as long as you were um on as long as you were behind that, you were on side. So the defender could be miles away. Um, and you, as long as you are there and the ball comes like to you and you go chase after it, you're on side. Mm-hmm. So it, 
like I was always taught as a forward to not go past that. And as a midfielder, you should be not be going. If, if you're uh, if you're a full length midfielder, you shouldn't be really going into the box at all. And I used to get yelled at all the time for doing that. So it just bugs me to no end. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. It's, it's difficult. I can see I can see why we're putting Haller in the box. I mean, obviously you've seen all the stats. Uh, he's won more aerial jewels than um, than anyone. I think it's I think it's anyone in the Premier League this season. I might be wrong on that, um, but I think I, I think he misses Antonio because obviously you could put him in the box, and then if, if we're clearing it, you've yeah. got Antonio with his energy to be able to get away. Whereas I think Haller lacks that little bit of pace, so I think that's we're maybe putting someone with a little bit more pace outside the box and putting him in just so he can win the header. We used to actually set up very, like set up very similar. When we uh, when we were under Allardyce and we had Carroll, used to put Carroll on the front post, so Carroll would just win the header and get it clear straight away. Hmm. Um, I think we're kind of trying to do the same thing with with Haller. Yeah, I can, yeah, I can see that. Um, then we just need taller defensemen. Are there any tall defensemen out defensemen out there who are I mean, he, or expiring? He's a deal. Is a mountain in his own. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think you would you normally you would prefer a defensive player to like like Diop or Bonnet, one of your taller players. Um but obviously they're having to pick up the other players in the box and Haller's always gonna be one that's left on his own, I think, when defending. So uh yeah. I don't know, it's a difficult one really. I don't really I don't really think know who you could really put there because it's um I don't know anyone really. I, one thing I did pick up on yesterday is Everton centre back is it Mina? He was getting marked by Snodgrass, and it's just such a mismatch in terms of height. Yeah, it is. It is. I don't. I don't know. I think we need to. I think we need to work on a set pieces because, obviously, as you said yesterday, like um, yeah, that's the, the that, defensive side of it. We're a bit shaky still. That's something that hopefully Morris will bring. Will start doing in a, in training if he hasn't already, and the fact that. It would really bug me about Pellegrini. It's the fact that he never, he only did scrimmages. He never practiced drills or whatever. And I'm like, how can you only do scrimmages? I mean, you learned how to take better free kicks by taking more free kicks, watching videos, learning from experts, contacting Dimitri Payet. I don't know. But you don't, you can't practice free kicks in game situations all the time. So, I, and then let's talk. So, let's get into the second half. So both sides, we both had some great chances in the second half. We actually had more ball possession in the second half than we did in the first, which to me was surprising. Um, and also it seemed like we had we had more of the chances in the second half than um, than Everton did. But the one thing, the biggest thing, um, the takeaway from the second half was the Ajeti uh, VAR situation. What did you see live? To be completely honest, not much. Um, <laughs> because where that was, I sit down the other. I sit behind the goal down the other end, so it's really difficult for me to see down the other end sometimes. That's and that's true. not a dig at the distance from the pitch, by the way. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I just see we were passing the ball around the edge of the box, and then you see an Everton player laying there, and obviously the refs 
instructor has to kick the ball out and you're just wondering what it's for. And then you just see on the screen saying like a VAR check going on. And me and my friend, we who, who were sitting there, we were just like, we don't know what's going on, what he's checking. It's like a potential red card. We didn't know what for because we didn't see anything. But um, you see on the replays, like obviously when when you when you when we got home, we see the replay that he's kind of moved his head back into Holgate's face. So I don't know. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a funny one. But if if the thing is, if if VAR have checked it and they've not given anything, then that I've seen I've seen people talking today that, like about potential action being taken against Ajay. That's, that's really? where I think that's where I think the rules need to be well, sorted a little bit because if VAR have checked it then that should be the end of it that's, so, that's how I see it so I had two problems with it number one it looked like the Everton player dove it looked like it was a light tap nothing much maybe you take a step back big big deal but to be rolling around the ground in pain as if he took a hammer to your nose and swung at it as if it was a nail is just mind boggling to me and you mm-hmm. it that that alone, that should have been a yellow for embellishment. If you're checking that for VAR, you should be looking at how much he embellished that. And that, to me, that that at least deserves to be looked at for a yellow for embellishment. Yeah. Um, oh, the, 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 the diving now in in English football, especially English football, is getting is getting a joke. To be honest, yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, obviously, you get in you get in every league, but. English players now, especially, it just—it's getting worse. You see it every every week, like. And the, the thing that the thing that's a major issue as well is there was a rule brought in a couple of years ago, saying unless it's a head injury, you, the other team doesn't have, the team in possession does not have to kick the ball out. And a couple of years down the line, there's nothing been nothing said about the rule changing back or anything, but the referees just stop the game, and yeah. they just kill they kill all the momentum. Yeah. Well, it, well, and so I want to talk about because of the fact that we that there is a TV monitor pick side that the referee should have can go over and look at it and make a decision with while contacting VAR. That should have been the most. That's the most appropriate time, in my opinion, to talk about to go and look at it because what else? Like, what else are you going to review it for now? I'd ra- personally, me, I'd rather. Go to a TV monitor and look at it like no different than in the World Cup final when the referee looked at the monitor and said, "Yep, it's a penalty to France." That was appropriate. In Major League Soccer, they're all in every single Major League Soccer stadium. They have them at RFK Stadium. They actually had two of them on both sides of the pitch. And so I'm just sitting here going, "Sure, VAR may slow down the game, but if you do, but to look at, I'd rather be looking at it than I would be contacting somebody who's." Could be. I don't know. Is there a central location where all these refs are, or are they in the stadium, or what? There is. Um, there is a, a, a centre where the um, VAR checks go on, um, but the name has just completely gone out of my head. <laughs> uh, no. But uh, but they, the, the commentators when the, when you watch the games on TV and stuff, they always mention it, saying like, "Oh, the, the checks are going on at, at this place." Whatever the name of it is, um, and that, obviously, yeah, that's what that's where they make the calls. But <sighs> I just think the I just think it's it's a complete mess. VAR. Well, so it's like even like perfect example of VAR yesterday. 
our goal. I normally, I normally go go mad when West Ham score, but it's like a, half a celebration because you don't know you don't know if it's going to count or not now. Right. Yeah. Well, and we saw, perfect example was the game against Sheffield, and um, so after the game, as I'm fuming with anger, Rebecca Lowe, who's the in-studio TV com- um, presenter for NBC Sports Network said that, just a reminder, this is not VAR's fault, this is the new rules fault. Which, by the mm-hmm. way, I read that um, several Premier League managers are complaining to FIFA to change the law. And you know what? I'm in agreement with them. They all The law should be changed. The current law promotes cheating, as we saw against Sheffield. That, to me, we got cheated out of a point. Oh, I agree. I agree completely. The um, the new handball rule is just... It, it, like, I don't see how having the ball, like Declan Rice, for example, I don't see how having a ball hit at you from that distance, I don't see how that's avoidable, to be honest. I don't see how he's done it deliberately. I don't, and the, the thing that, like, obviously the rule is the rule, but the, the problem is the inconsistency with the referees. I mean, there was yeah. a goal in a game yesterday, I think it was Southampton Wolves, um, Adama Traore, he, uh, yeah, I saw that one. he's had the ball booted at him and he's hit his arm and he's just ran through and scored and VAR have checked it and they've let it stand. So it's just like, all right, if, if you're going to have the rule in place, fair enough, but where's the consistency? There is no consistency and this is some of the problem. And the refs have not been consistent at all in making these calls and when they do VAR checks, they've not been consistent. It, I know Liverpool scored a, scored a goal with the handball earlier this year and everyone was up in arms going, what the hell? And here we are going, what the hell to us? And it's oh, we always get the butt end of the shaft here. We don't get the front end of the staff, the shaft. And, uh, I, I've, I've, I thought last season when they announced that VAR was coming into the Premier League, I thought it was going to have a positive impact on West Ham and I thought we were actually going to go further up the table. But it turns out, that it's gone completely against us in every sense, and we're even worse than what we were last season. Well, so I right. thought, I thought personally, I thought it was going to help us too. I said at the beginning, um, beginning of the season, we're going to get nine points from it. Um, and now currently we're at zero because of the stupid handball rule. So it's a negative one. But I mean, there, there has been times it's gone in our favour. I mean, the Bournemouth game on New Year's Day. Yes. Um, they obviously checked Anderson's goal for a potential offside. Uh, they gave the penalty to us and they overturned um, the red card given to Cresswell. So that's, obviously it sounds fickle, but that's when it's good. And then when it goes against you, obviously everyone says it's bad, but it seems like when it goes against us, it's a mistake by the official. It seems like they've got it wrong. Yeah, um, I yeah, I can't really have too much more to that. I thought I had more, <laughs> but, but the consistency issue to me is that needs to, that needs to go back to whoever is in charge of the the referee organization in the UK, and they they need to sit down and have a conversation about this with everybody. And at the end of the so I know in hockey, um, in ice hockey here in the NHL, when you have um, a because we the every pretty much every sport has a ref refereeing issue, but in the NHL it's gotten particularly bad. Last year's playoffs were were goddamn awful, um, um, and so what ended up happening is 
referees got started to get pulled from playoff series, um, and they told they were done for the year. And at the end of the year, there was a huge conference with all the refs. And set, they sat down and looked at all the very, very bad calls on the ice and talked about all of them and still why the call was wrong. Just to give you an idea as to how, because it, they're like, we're in crisis mode, people. We're being attacked left and right on in the media, on the internet. And people are saying they're not going to watch hockey if the ref, referee is going to be this pathetic. So it something needs to be done because the lack of consistency is problematic. And for not, not just like for sports itself, but also like for the game, it's just makes me, makes me sit here, rip out my hair and go, why? What's, why, what, when do we get robot referees? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, it would be, it would be brilliant if we could have that over here in England in the Premier League, but I think I, I never think you're going to get that over here. There's we, not just West Ham fans, but there's every fan in, of uh, different teams. We think over here there's like a referee union. It's like a re- for example, the referee for the Sheffield United game. He could have got that wrong, and then actually no, the perfect example of this: Arsenal played Bournemouth earlier in the season. And uh, Bournemouth had a penalty appeal turned down by the referee, and it went to VAR, and VAR agreed with the referee because they didn't want to overturn his decision. So that's that's what you're dealing with over here, and it, like we call it like referees union because it's like they're all friends and they don't want to overturn each other. Yeah. So that, that's where you get the problems, I think. Well, so the, the, again, I think some of the problem is the fact that they're using referees in the, at VAR to look at it. Instead of using a, like, instead of using a third party, so, or even people who know the rules, they're not complete, they're not officials, but they know the rules. Um, so in the NHL, NBA, and NFL, not NFL, um, MLB, they all have, th- um, they all have video replay and they all have places where it's all done. The NHL, it's in Toronto, Canada, and the NBA, it's in Newark. New Jersey, for whatever reason, Major League Baseball, it's in New York. And they, these are all people who know the rules of the game. They're not referees. They are not, they're not um, officials of any stance of the imagination, but they have the rule book with them and they look at the rules and discuss the rules and discuss it out with the refs to give them the bet, give them all the help they need to make the call correct as they're looking at it on the screen. Because the, at the end of the day, it's about getting calls correct. And if and if calls aren't are being called correctly and people are mad about it, then we can at least go back and say at least they got the call right. But if they got the call wrong, then we're sitting here and we're yelling and screaming that they got it wrong and something needs to be done about it. And that's where we are, where, where something needs to be done. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely with that. Something needs to be done in order to change it and make like to get rid of all the mistakes that the officials are making because the standard at the minute it just isn't good enough. No, it's not. And well, to be fair, when when instant replay has been introduced in all four major sports leagues here in the U.S., it's taken a while to get it right. The NFL it took a couple, it took like five years. It's still they're still trying to figure that one out. Yeah, they still they're still working on it, and which is the sad part. <laughs> yeah, it's still it's still early days for VAR in the Premier League. I mean, it's only its, its first season, so I think year on year it will get better. But you like how long like. How long does it? Will it, is it going to take before every decision is right? If do you know, do you know like well, how many more how many more errors are going to be made? 
yeah. in in games before before they're all eliminated. How many how, how many how many bad decisions are going to cost teams like their place in the league or going to cost them a title or whatever? Well, and the and it, well, not this year, probably not. But in the next year, who knows? The title race may come down to a to a VAR challenge that it gets that the referees get wrong, and people are going to be yelling and screaming about it. And you're going to have, and it's going to divide the nation. Should it have been a penalty? Should it not have been a penalty? Did it deserve it to be read? Did it not deserve it to be read? Or something like that. And it's going to divide the whole country. And it's, you know, every fan of soccer in the world, or the sport in the world, is going to look at it and go, we, this needs to be fixed. And as it stands, when the whole world is not prepared for that crisis yet. <laughs> but when it, no. does, when it does come, and we're, I'm going to be sitting here going, I told you all, I told you all. <laughs> no, I, I, as I said, I do agree. Um, but yeah, going back to what you said about dividing people, and I'm going to kind of contradict myself a little bit. But before VAR was introduced, having a wrong decision determine where where a title goes. Whether I think that's part, like the fans enjoy that part. Like the VAR, the VAR has been brought in, and it's it's taken away some of the joy. Of like you, you can't, you can't celebrate a goal without thinking, oh no, is it going to be ruled out or, like you like, and I don't know. There's just been, I, I mean, I do, I do miss the Premier League without VAR, where you could have a dodgy decision and then it could be a talking point about like the next day, like you could go out with your friends, you could talk about, oh, if if this had happened, if that had happened, or whatever. But obviously, you don't get that anymore. With, with VAR doing it for you, no. Uh, so, I don't know. I just, I just don't like it. I'm, I'm, I'm against it, but it's not going to change. <laughs> not unless something dramatic happens. It's probably to be quite honest. I would love to see eagle eye technology also be used in this sport more so than just goal checks. Yeah. Um, because we 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 see what it does for tennis, the sport of tennis. If you watch Wimbledon at all, or even the Australian Open that's coming up. Um, you can see where the ball goes out, where it doesn't go out. Um, the, mm-hmm. the KHL, the ice hockey league in uh, mostly Russia, but they have teams in Finland, a team in China, a team being talked about in North Korea, and a bunch of other in Belarus, uh, Kazakhstan, and a bunch of Eastern European towns. Um, they use tracking devices in their pucks um, to check whether or not a goal has been had or whatnot or where the what the puck, where the puck is, and they're talking about expanding that to penalties and different things of that nature. And I'm, I'm like, why can't we put it in the balls now? Honestly, I think it would help a lot of things out. Yeah, yeah, that that would add add something to the game. I think on the flip side of VAR, I do think we kind of have that. Obviously, with um, goal line technology, obviously. When uh, when the goal's been scored now, when the ball crosses the line, the referees watch buzzes. It, yep. like, it, it vibrates, so they they're notified a bit. And it, I think, in that aspect, it has that that's brought an improvement to the game because couldn't tell you tell you how many times over the years West Ham have been robbed the goal. <laughs> um, I, probably a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's, it happens so many times, and it's just so many marginal calls that by little things like that that. That have cost us. 
Um, I, I just I think um, I forgot what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> oh, that, that was it. Um, in um, I think I see it when I was scrolling through t- Twitter once. Um, is in I think it was in the Australian league. The referee he was, it was they were checking a VAR call, but he um, he he was mic'd up so. You, like sitting there watching on TV, you could hear it, and I think the people in the uh, stadium could hear it as well. They could hear what he was saying. They could hear what he was re- he was reviewing. And I think that I think, definitely would help. It would help the referees kind of like explain, like uh, the officials explain the rationale, explain where they're standing, see what so they everyone knows what they're seeing, and it all provides a bit of uh, uh, not clarity but transparent uh, transparency. Yeah. So, I, so there are two leagues in the in uh, North America that I know that do that. The Arena Football League, which just went under, they did that for all TV broadcasts. Um, and then the Canadian um, Junior Hockey did this. Um, and they, you, what they did is they had a split screen. They had a split screen with the referees on the ice, and then the control center at, that's actually in the arena. And they talk to the guy upstairs and talk it out. And you can see that they actually had drawings. They actually have drawing software in the C- CHL, I believe, which I think is really cool. That they can draw it's like the puck, like here's the puck, get across the line. When does it stop? Where is it? And I'm just like, this is genius. I would kill to have all, to have all major sports do, start doing this: NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, Premier League, La Liga, Bundesliga, League on, Syria A. If we if they started doing that, we could start to hear what's being said and just start to determine why things are being called the way that they are or not being called the way that they are. And I th- that would just, to me at least, be that would give us a lot more clarity than what we currently got. Because right now, I when some of these obvious calls are not go- being called, you have to wonder: Are they really talking about the match, or are they talking about where they're going to go for dinner after the game? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean. That that's the whole point of it. At the end of the day, when they're doing these checks, like the VAR checks or offside checks or whatever, we just, the fans just want to know what's going on. And like, I think that's the main issue. No, no one apart from the referee and the people in the in the studio doing the checks, none of them know what's what's being looked at. And I think that that's I think that's the main problem. Yeah. It needs to be fixed. If the referee's mic'd up, then just the fans know what's going on, and the players know what's going on as well. I mean, it was the if I remember correctly, it's the first game of the season. I think we lost to Man City at, yep. the, uh, at the London Stadium. Um, there was a VAR check for a potential uh, encroachment on a penalty that needed to be retaken. And um, we actually had the uh, decision on the screen. We actually had the picture, the live images of the, of the incident on the screen to help make to help make the final decision wow. and obviously it had, to, it had to be retaken but then since then I think it's been instructed that we're not allowed to actually have the live action on the screen and it's just and now at the games it just comes up VAR check or whatever so and so is being checked and that's well, all we get now Well, so I know that for like I know for a lot of the leagues they don't allow if it's being replayed um, like being reviewed they don't allow it to be shown because they don't want to start causing riots don't want to start showing that things are like what's going on they don't want to hear massive booing or massive cheering or whatnot uh, like in the arena because if it's let's pretend for a second um, it's the 120th minute and you're 
checking for encroachment and your team scores and it they end up calling encroachment and it's clear and obvious they show it in inside you're going to start writing and that's what they don't want so i as much as i it pains me to say this i actually understand why they do it i don't necessarily like it but oh well i'm not the one in charge here no and i think that i think that's the problem <laughs> the, the people in the people in charge are the problem and they need to they need to fix it they need to make things better for everyone involved i think all right so let's go so now we're done with the game chris do we got any news to talk about the only thing i've really seen um was actually a tweet from x that if there is to be any business done uh this transfer window it's going to be left late yet again probably the last week I think so. that's. I think that sums up everything you need to know about the owners, really. Yep. Looking for late, cheap bargains. That's literally that's all you've got to say about it. They're just going to look for a, a bargain on the last week. Well, and because we they don't because they don't want to spend any money. Right, and we wonder why Gold's um, kid has taken over taking over the women's team because it's easy and they don't need to bring pay someone to bring the bring them in or relocate them. It's just, it's frustrating to me that we keep doing all this last minute bullshit and we don't go out and we don't go, hey, we need a, I don't know, we need a right wing back and we start looking for a right wing back come like early in the year and we go, oh, hey, we can find them. And like, oh, hey, we signed him by the 10th of January. Hey, isn't that wonderful? And and he's playing by the the 22nd or something like that. That's what we need. We need someone who's who wants to sign these players early and get commitments early. And the fact that we can't do it is beyond frustrating to me. And it, I'm to be quite honest, I'm not quite sure our owners really know what they're doing when it comes to this. I think th- the main issue with the owners is they are out of touch with modern football. I mean, you look at David Gold; he's like 83 years old. David Sullivan; he's like nearly 70. Um, football's changed a lot since they were since they first came on the scene I should say Um, they've done I'll I'll give them credit they they have done well in terms of stabilising the club in terms of the debt um, and making us a more making us a bigger brand I should say like worldwide Um, they've done well in that aspect and but, but the main issue with them is I, I was sp- speaking with my two friends yesterday and we said if we were still at Upton Park and we were in the situation we're in now, um, like fighting relegation um, and all, and everything else is going on, I said that the fans wouldn't bat an eyelid. But the main issue is we've, we've left Upton Park and we've moved to London Stadium in order to progress to the next level because that's what they said we were going to do. Four years down the line, I think we've got worse. And um, the only thing that's changed is we now don't have a we don't own our stadium either. <laughs> um, they've constantly underinvested in the squad, apart from that one summer that I've mentioned about. But that was, I think they only did that as a reaction to the fan protest. Oh yeah. Um, but and but I think the fans are just fed up with the liars, like constant liars. Yep. Like they. Like they've they've obviously heard about the protests that that were happening yesterday, and then all of a sudden, all three of them want to make an appearance on 
on social media and uh, say like, oh, like we promised to do this, we promised to do that. And it's because they're scared. See, what they're, they... Well, well, they are very scared, but what they really need is they need some young, cunning intern who understands social media and who can understand that and can and can reach out to these fans that are very frustrated and try to calm their calm their nerves a bit and try to get them less angry. And even if he has to do it from like an official West Ham account sort of thing, but they like. Because we're we're all angry, but if we can get like someone who's um, snarky and someone who's sassy to tweet out things at us, um, I think it would I would be really funny. I don't know about you, but we have a couple of Twitter accounts like that here in the U.S., and it's just kind of funny to see. But other than finding new owners, are, what else can we do? Yeah, I know it's a difficult one. The only thing I will say is. <laughs> With West Ham fans, it's very difficult, and you have to be very careful what you say, especially if you're one of the owners. They yeah. don't. They, they don't. The, the issue with them now is after everything, everything that they've done. I mean, obviously, it's been documented that um, it's been a decade since they've been in charge, and they didn't have a good reputation when they first came here, and now that they've been here a decade, and we've obviously gone backwards as a club, and the fans have gone against them. It's now they don't have much of a leg to stand on. Um, no. If, especially, God forbid it doesn't happen. But if we get relegated this season, that is that that will be the end for them. They won't be allowed to. They won't be allowed to step inside the London Stadium. I mean, the fans just the fans will not have it because they've just they've ultimately dragged us down because because they care more about how much money how much money they're earning and putting into their pockets rather than what they're investing in the club. I think I see something yesterday. They haven't actually invested any of their own money into the club since 2014. Jesus. Jesus. It's now, it's now 2020. That's six years without any investment from their own pockets. Every, everything that they've invested, I think, has been through, um, obviously, like taking, taking stuff out or player sales or whatever. It's, none of it's been their own money. So... And that well, well, first off, that's brilliant bookkeeping by them. But second off, it's it's problematic because you we want to win. We we all would love to be playing in Europe, weren't we? Yep, yep. And funny, I, I shared something on my my Facebook page earlier. Um, it was a comment. I think it was from about 2015-16. Uh, David Gold and David Sullivan released a joint statement saying, "Within five years of the move to the London Stadium, we can win the Premier League and the Champions League." <laughs> and you can't. And when you look at it now, you can't help but laugh. But back then, before we'd moved stadium, you looked at it and you felt like, you know what? It it it's not the most ridiculous thing to say. But keep in mind, we we also went out and got one of the best players available that most people hadn't heard about it Dimitri Payet and he just lit up the Premier League and everyone was kind of like, whoa, where did this kid come from? I watched League On. I knew who he was. I was, I was like beyond ecstatic when we signed him. But the whole, but the fact that he, he's now left and we haven't signed anyone to it that is, can hold a candle to his name is worrisome to me. And the fact that we aren't even looking for players in some of these Places like the Newcastle goal, starting goalkeeper. He, last year, he was in the uh, Slovakian third division, if I remember correctly. And now he's starting for Newcastle. 
why can't we find guys like that to come in and make a major impact like that? Because we don't have a scouting system. We have seven scouts. It just, just well, if you, if you, if you take out who's lost, we've now got six. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> we got, we got even less. Um, and this, this is a major problem as well that we've got. I mean. Yes, Pellegrini and Husilos came as kind of like a package deal. Um, but I don't think Husilos should have gone because No. You can you can look at all his signings and fair enough he's made a few bad ones. Like the two that stand out for me are Roberto and Carlos Sanchez. I mean <laughs> for the for the life of me, I don't understand why we even considered signing them. And I, when I read the other day that Roberto was close to leaving or not, I could not tell you how happy that made me. Yeah. Um, Bring it up, yeah, yeah. Um, but look at all these other signings. I mean, Felipe Anderson, he was brilliant last season. He's had a bit of a off year this season so far, but I think that's, I think he's been struggling with confidence personally. Um, for now, as people slated him at the start of the season, he's probably now one of our best players. Um, I don't know the list goes on, like Diop, Valbuena. Hello. Hello, yep, yeah, they've all Fabianski, they've all been good. Um as I said, there's a few that from from all the signings that they've made, there's only four that I can pick out that have been bad signings, and that was obviously Roberto, Sanchez, Wilshire, and um Yarmolenko. I mean Yarmolenko doesn't really do much for me to be honest. Well so the funny thing is because Yarmolenko he was <clears throat> injured for most of la- for most of last year, except for the two months, and now he comes in and he's to me, he's been performing well, and then he gets in, now he gets injured again. Now we're looking to sell him, and I'm like, because I re- thoroughly enjoyed Yarmolenko. He seemed happy here. He seemed like he wanted to play here. And with Yarmolenko on one side and Antonio on the other side of the midfield, I felt that we had the best chance for him. I felt uh, there was a lot of Vim coming from that midfield, and finding Vim in that midfield is kind of difficult nowadays. So, Yeah, I mean... I mean, Yarmolenko last season, he was good. I mean, and I did, I did like him before his injury. I thought he'd, because he, he, he took a bit of time to get into the team. Um, but then he was brought in. He scored a He scored three or four goals, I think, in that time before his injury. Um, yeah, four, I think. Yeah. Um, and everyone was obviously really happy to see him back this season. Uh, but for me, I just, he's just not. Um, He's not well suited enough for the Premier League. I think in the Premier League nowadays, especially, I think you need pace out wide. Yeah, it just cries out for fast wingers, and that's why I tweeted earlier today saying that I think we need the Angana back because I, I just think he adds so much pace to the team, and he's so direct. He'll just run at you, and he's not—he's just like got, he's got no fear. He's—he's he's what a twenty-twenty-year-old kid. He's, yeah. He'll just run at you. He's got no fear. Whereas Yarmolenko, we actually signed him. And he actually does have a bad injury record. I mean, I think it was the year before, or maybe a couple of years before, he actually done the same thing that he did when he was with us, that long-term injury. Hmm. And with with him being, I think he's 30 now, Yarmolenko, uh, the same things happen with Reed, and the same thing happened with Carroll. I mean, as they, as they get older, they're only going to get more injuries. Yeah. There's, so, there's only so much that we can do with as we're stretched out beyond belief and, and but I mean to be quite honest our U23 side is doing well and it, to me it's just kind of funny as we because we tend to sell off a lot of those guys I'm just like why not promote from within people 
Yeah, I mean, it's a difficult one with the under twenty three because obviously, they, as you said, they do really well for the under twenty three side. But then it seems like they only they get called up to the first team. They'll get one or two games, and then it seems as though a decision's been made. Then I mean, you look at at Tottenham. No one thought he was any good, but Pochettino stuck with him, and he gave him uh, gave him a number of games, and now he's one of the one. He's one. He's a regular. In their team, but and this season for us, there's another, another example. Nathan Holland, he's been absolutely brilliant for the under 23s, and we've sent him out on to Oxford. It's just like there's no there's no chances. It's yeah. like it's, it seems as though it's just it's, it seems as though like we're scared to give the youth a chance. It seems like we'd we'd rather go for. We'd yeah we like instead of playing Nathan Holland we'd rather give Yarmolenko that chance because because he's a bit older and he's got a bit more experience rather than give an unknown kid a chance I know it's just a bit frustrating sometimes I, I think that also though has to do with kind of like them trying to almost get their the bang uh, bang for their buck they spend so much money on him he, they feel he should be playing and rather than promoting uh, a youth player and giving them a shot when in reality it should be the younger kids who are pushing Yarmolenko to do better and if not, then put in the youth. Yeah. Um, it's, <laughs> the thing is, it's difficult. Like Obviously, as you said, we have spent a lot of money on Yarmolenko and the board would ideally want to see him playing. But I think at the same time, now with Moyes in charge, it just doesn't fit the system. Um the way we want to play, I think I've read that the long-term plan is for Moyes. He wants to play the three at the back, mm-hmm. um, and I just don't see I don't see where Yarmolenko fits in either. And I think yes, we spent a lot of money on him, eighteen million, I think it was something like that. But um, I think for when you consider his age and your in, and his injury record, I think I, I think you'd find that most West Ham fans would be happy to take a hit on him just to see the back of him, and we could bring someone younger in. Yeah, hopefully. All right. Uh, before we, before we go, um, I'm in a, one of the Facebook groups that I'm in for West Ham on Twi- on Facebook, obviously not Twitter. Um, posted this uh, email from the West Ham United ticket office. I have no idea if this is true or not, but for the match against Liverpool, they said, um, "Thank you for purchasing tickets for the forthcoming game on the 29th versus Liverpool. Tickets are being held at the stadium and will be ready to collect on match day from the North Ticket Office." The North Ticket Office opens at 12 p.m. on the 29th, and it's located between Charlottesville, J and J. Yada yada yada. Uh, to release your tickets, we require proof that you are a West Ham United supporter. We will accept photos of yourself in West Ham United merchandise, proof of purchase from the West Ham United store, or previous ticketing ticket booking history, proof of attendance of a previous West Ham United match. This can be sent by email, or if you have another client reference number uh, to previous booking, please call us at this number. Failure to provide this information will result in cancellation of your tickets. I have no idea if this is true or not, but this is... I hope to God it's not, because if it is, I could see problems start to brew before even kickoff happens. Well, I'm not sure if that email is true. I mean, obviously, I'm a season ticket holder, and I haven't received that email myself, but I I don't know if that's just for general match match tickets. It's probably if you buy a single match ticket online or something like that instead of 
because you're a t- season ticket holder, you, you you get your tickets on what a card? Or something? Yeah, we get them on a card, but we still get we still get emails or text messages saying, "Oh, if you can't make this game, contact this number and so and so." Um, but yeah, that might it might it's probably is just for um, people who have just bought the ticket for the one game. Yeah, uh, either, either way, please. What was it? Um, the prove. Please prove proof that, of, prove your West Ham fandom. Oh my god! I mean, any Liverpool fans that, that are coming to that game, they could literally just go into the shop, buy a key ring, and then take a picture of it. Well, even yeah. ch- even show the uh, receipt and just have a heavy like bomber jacket on under over your Liverpool stuff, and no one knows because you're wearing a heavy winter jacket. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of in response because I do remember seeing a cut like a couple days ago or a few weeks ago, maybe a, a ton of Liverpool fans actually talking on Twitter about how they were able to get. Uh, tickets to the West Ham match in, uh, at the London Stadium, like away from the, desi- the Liverpool designated area. So I think that that was kind of, that might, if that email is true, I think it's kind of in response to that, but yeah. Yeah, and I can see why they're doing it because a couple of games that I've been to this season, most notably the Spurs game, um, I sit in the block next to the away fans, so obviously it's pretty close to them. Um, but in the row or the second row behind me, there was a guy sitting there. He was he was from Denmark as well. He was sitting there with a Tottenham hat on. And it's just like, mate, you're in the middle of like thousands of West Ham fans. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and um, someone who, who I talked to at the games, he came up the stairs and he was absolutely livid. I mean, he came, he went up to the bloke. He actually walked, stormed all the way through the row of seats to, and told the, told the bloke to get out. He grabbed hold of him, tried to get him out, but he wouldn't go. So we ended up having to get three stewards to come up and, rem- and uh, remove him. So, so I can see why they're doing it because I think it's for it, it's. It, I think it's mainly for the away fans' safety more than anything. Well, I'll, I'm going to close this out by saying this: bin dippers are going to bin dip. <laughs> All right, and on oh, that note. And on that note, um, follow, we can follow you at uh, your Twitter handle is West, at West Ham Fan Zone, right? Yeah, it's at W-H-U-F-C-F-Z. <laughs> <F-Z>. <laughs> Pretty long one. <laughs> but just search West Ham, West Ham Fan Zone. Yeah, I'll come up. Yeah. So um, for Chris and for West Ham Fan Zone, I am Zach. Uh, this has been Fortune's Always Hiding on American Hammers Radio. I want to thank Tim and Lee for giving us this platform and giving us a chance to talk about West Ham United um, every week because it's fun, and hopefully we can start winning matches again and getting three points and having fun again because right now it's frustrating as hell. This has been an American Hammers radio production on AmericanHammersTV.us.